Welcome to Time Travelling Team, the weekly podcast where we review every story of Doctor Who right from the very beginning. I'm Paddy. And I'm Trisha. This week we'll be doing things a little bit differently. We'll be discussing the first four episodes of the eight-episode story, The Invasion. Why only the first four? Because it's long. Really? <laughs> and this podcast would go on for like four hours. So Pretty we're going much. to break it in two. We'll do the first four this week and the next four next week. As usual, we'll be discussing the Doctor, the Companions and the Villains and give you our thoughts on the story so far, but we will not be giving it a score. That comes next week. As always, we'd love to hear your thoughts on this story. So in order to join in the discussion, you can check us out at Time Teamp, that's T-I-M-E-T-E-A-M-P, on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Or you can email us at timetravellingteamp at teamproductions.com. Now though, I shall give you the story recap. Episode 1. The Doctor, Jamie and Zoe find themselves back at the console of the newly reassembled TARDIS. The Doctor takes a look at the external view screen and they see that they have stopped above the Earth. He notices a light on the dark side of the moon's surface and Zoe says that it is actually coming towards them. The Doctor says that it is a missile and when he goes to take evasive action he notices that the landing circus has jammed which is the reason for the current orbit. The Doctor frantically tries to fix it as the missile gets closer, eventually colliding with the TARDIS and causing a massive explosion. A short while later, a strange-looking satellite floats through the space where the TARDIS was. On the Earth, the TARDIS materialises in a field of cows and the occupants pick themselves up off the ground. Zoe asks why would someone fire a missile at them without checking to see who they were, but the Doctor says that maybe they already knew and that's why they were fired at. He then checks the view screen to see where they are and they are greeted by the sight of a cow staring back at them. The TARDIS then shakes and the lights flicker on and off and the Doctor says that it may need to be re-overhauled and repaired. They continue to look at their surroundings and they see several power pylons leading them to believe that they have arrived in the English countryside sometime in the 20th century. The Doctor suggests that they try and locate their old comrade Professor Travers as he may be able to help them source the parts for the TARDIS. He then takes a circuit for the visual stabiliser with him and they all exit the TARDIS. Outside Zoe and Jamie see that this has rendered the TARDIS invisible and so they make their way through the field until they come to a road. The Doctor flags down an approaching lorry and the driver gruffly asks them if they are trying to get out. The Doctor says that they are trying to get to London and the driver orders them to get in. The lorry makes his way towards London but it is being pursued by two motorcycles. The driver pulls off the main road and tells the travellers that they need to get away from the lorry and he leads them into the woods. Jamie asks where they are hiding and the driver informs them that he is being tailed by security from the company. He seems confused when Zoe asks who the company are and even more so when the Doctor says that they are travellers. He tells them that the company is called International Electromatics and they are the leading name in all electronic products, with seemingly every device in the world being provided by them. The driver tells them that the company controls a secluded community in the area that people cannot leave. They either join the company or they go missing. After ensuring the coast is clear, the driver leads them back into the lorry and tells them to stay quiet while he attempts to bluff his way past one of the boundary guard posts. Further down the road, the driver stops the lorry and tells the travellers to get out and they take cover behind a nearby hedge. A few moments later, the two motorcycles that were following them pull up and the riders, who are indeed security personnel from the company, search the lorry but find it empty. They then order the driver to accompany them back to the compound, but he refuses. He threatens to call the police and the guards shoot him. Meanwhile, unaware of the driver's fate, the travellers make their way to another road and flag down a passing car that takes them to London. The trio arrive at Professor Travers' house, but see the name on the door reads Watkins, and the doctor decides to ring the bell to see where Travers may have gone. After a few minutes of ringing, the door is answered by an irate young woman who lets them in before returning to the main drawing room where she has set up a self-photo shoot. She gives out that the camera is jammed and the doctor offers to help repair it. 
The woman tells him that she's the niece of the current resident, a Professor Watkins, and she tells him that Travers and his daughter Anne left for America for a year the previous month. Her uncle was a friend of Travers who let him have the house so he could carry out his work, which the woman says has something to do with physics. She takes a sudden interest in Zoe and introduces herself as Isabel before asking Zoe to do some modelling for her. The doctor tries to bring her attention back to the topic at hand, as he thinks Watkins may be able to help him repair the TARDIS. She tells him that he has been gone for a week as part of his work for International Electromatics, but she hasn't been able to reach him, with the company telling her that he is unavailable. The doctor and Jamie go to try and contact him via the phone number left for Isabel, with Jamie suggesting that he may have been kidnapped. The doctor gets through to a computer answering service, which tells him that Watkins is not available. He then tells Jamie that they need to go to the Office of International Electromatics themselves to find him, but Zoe decides to stay behind with Isabel. The doctor and Jamie arrive at the office, unaware that they are being followed by two men in the car. Once they go inside, they see the computer answering service, who tells them that there is no one available to speak to them. The doctor grows frustrated when the computer fails to respond to an emergency request, and he takes Jamie outside to explore the building further. Elsewhere in the building, two men are discussing the doctor and Jamie's presence, with the more senior of the two telling the other to deal with them. Outside, the two men in the car discuss their orders to retrieve the duo and bring them back to their HQ. The doctor and Jamie have managed to sneak into the building and arrive via an elevator into an empty hallway which suddenly fills with a knockout gas. They both succumb to its effects and a short while later, the junior man, whose name is Packer, leads a squad of security guards to finish them off, but at the last moment, his superior, whose name is Vaughn, orders them to be brought to his office instead. Vaughn then tells Packer to leave and he apologises to them before introducing himself as Tobias Vaughn, the managing director of International Electromatics. He tells them that the computer informed him about their request to speak to Watkins, but he tells them that he is too busy and he offers his own help instead. Jamie tries to accept the offer, but the doctor declines instead and then kicks Jamie when he mentions the fact that there's only a few circuits that need to be repaired. This sparks Vaughn's interest and the doctor reluctantly hands over the circuits to Vaughn, who places them into his desk drawer, which also contains a loaded handgun. He then offers Jamie a free sample of their newest product, a small portable transistor radio, as an apology for the way that he was treated. He then has Packer escort him from the property before investigating the circuits. Once they are outside, the doctor expresses his concerns about Vaughn, citing his lack of a normal blinking pattern and the fact that he got a sense of something inhuman about him. Up in his office, Vaughn watches the pair leave before opening a secret chamber in his office, which contains a strange alien-like piece of equipment. Episode 2 The doctor and Jamie move away from the building, but soon notice that they are being tailed by the men in the car. They start to move faster and the car speeds up after them. Eventually, another car appears and traps the two travellers, who then sit down to a game of cards as they await their fate. Meanwhile, back at the Watkins residence, Isabel and Zoe finish their modelling session and they discuss Isabel's modelling career. Isabel notices that Zoe is worried about her two friends, but Isabel tries to reassure her that they are okay. After having something to eat, Isabel sees that Zoe is still concerned about the others and suggests that they go to look for themselves. Back at Vaughan's office, he shows his head scientist Gregory the circuits, but he confesses to not understanding how they work. Vaughan dismisses him and gives him an hour to come up with some results. He then messages Packer and asks for the security pictures taken of the Doctor and Jamie. The Doctor and Jamie are brought to an airfield where they are escorted onto a large cargo plane. Jamie asks what is going on, but is taken aback when one of the men refers to him as Sir, and he will get their answers soon. The duo are happy to see the familiar face of Colonel Leftbridge Stewart, who informs them that he has been promoted to Brigadier, and that it has been four years since the events in the London Underground. 
He apologizes for the melodramatic way in which they were brought to him, and he explains that he is in charge of a specialized department called UNIT, which stands for United Nations Intelligence Task Force, whose job is to investigate strange phenomena throughout the world. He says they are currently investigating international electromatics due to a string of disappearances located near the main office. Meanwhile, Zoe and Isabel arrive at the office and they encounter the computer answering service, which Zoe requests information about Professor Watkins from. Up in his office, Vaughn questions the strange computer about the Doctor and Jamie, and it tells them that they are known to it and they are to be considered hostile, saying that its race had encountered them on Planet 14. He tells Vaughn that they must be dealt with as nothing can be allowed to interfere with the plans of the incoming invasion. Vaughn closes the panel again when an alarm goes off on his desk and he pulls up an image of Zoe on a monitor arguing with the computer answering service. Isabel says that they are wasting their time but Zoe refuses to be beaten and starts to pose logic problems to the computer which overloads its programming and causes it to explode. Vaughn is impressed by this and summons Packer to bring them up to his office. Once there, Vaughn reassures Isabel that her uncle is okay but that she could be of use persuading him to continue his work. Packer then tells his men to take the girls away. The Brigadier is showing the Doctor and Jamie various pictures of acclaimed scientists who all entered the International Electromatics main office but have been behaving strangely since their return. Jamie recognises the lorry driver in one of the pictures and the Brigadier says that he is actually one of his undercover agents but as they did not witness his death they say that he seemed fine when they last saw him. The Brigadier says that Vaughan is under surveillance but he does not have the authority to search the building without justifiable cause and is therefore unable to assist them in their search for Watkins. He sends them back to the city under escort and also gives them a transmitter that will allow them to contact him if needs be. They arrive back at the house to find it empty and decide to wait for the girls to come back. As they are waiting, the doctor takes a look at the transistor radio that Vaughan gave Jamie and he notices something odd in the eternal circuitry. He tells Jamie that there is a micro-monolithic circuit embedded in it but that it seemingly serves no purpose. Jamie says that maybe they should look for a note from the girls and they find one written on the wall a practice that Isabel earlier told the doctor about. They see that the girls have gone to the office and they rush off to find them. Once there, the doctor radios the brigadier who tells him that he's men spotted the girls entering the building. The doctor signs off by saying that he and Jamie are going to try and sneak inside and the brigadier reassures his adjutant that he trusts the doctor and is their best bet of finding a way inside. Gregory reports to Vaughn that he's been unable to figure out the circuits given by the doctor and after he leaves, Vaughn requests more information from the machine about the doctor but again it only insists that he is to be destroyed. Vaughn reminds the machine that he is in control of the Earth side of the invasion and forces it to send a message back to its superiors to get the information he wants. The machine tells him what it knows and Vaughn then says he will take care of things. Meanwhile, the Doctor and Jamie successfully infiltrate the building via a warehouse entrance near a railway line and they witness one of the labourers easily carrying a heavy metal crate into one of the loading docks. They try to lift it themselves but it is too heavy and they rush back into cover when the labourer returns. Unfortunately, their presence is noticed by the security system and Vaughn instructs Packer to capture them and for him to use the girls as bait. The girls are forced to scream before being knocked out and placed into metal crates. The Doctor and Jamie overhear the screams and make their way back into the loading dock. Jamie rushes in and assaults Packer who calls out for his guards to who captured the duo. Episode 3 Jamie demands to know where the girls are but Packer shoves him into a wall. Vaughn appears and tells him that their nosiness is starting to get annoying but he tells them that they just missed the girls, saying that they left when they couldn't find the doctor or Jamie. Jamie insists he saw Zoe's clothing peeking out of one of the crates, but Vaughn says that he must have imagined it. The doctor stops their arguing by requesting to see inside the crates, and Vaughn agrees, making it seem as if he has nothing to hide. 
He escorts him to the train, transporting the crates back to the company factory, but signals for Packer to order the train to leave immediately. They arrive a few moments after the train leaves, but Vaughn says that he is going to the factory anyway and offers to take them as well. The duo accept the offer, but share a sceptical look as they follow him to his car. Their departure is noticed by one of the Brigadier's men, Corporal Benton, who relays the information to the HQ. The Brigadier orders his adjutant, Captain Jimmy Turner, to follow discreetly via helicopter and informs him that he will let him know if the doctor signals for help. Turner follows Vaughan's car to the factory deep in the countryside and the Brigadier orders him to keep back at a safe distance so as not to arouse suspicion or put the doctor and Jamie at risk. Inside the factory, Vaughan takes the doctor and Jamie up to his office so he can ask them about the circuits he gave Gregory. He also tells Packer to bring Watkins up as well. Vaughan continues to be a gracious host as he talks about the doctor and Zoe's scientific acumen, probing for more information about the circuits but gaining nothing. He then promises to help them but leaves the room to fetch Watkins. Once they are alone, the doctor comments on Vaughan's obsession with finding out more about the circuits, and Jamie suggests that maybe he might know something about the TARDIS. This seems to alarm the doctor, who can't help but wonder why Vaughan is being so helpful. Meanwhile, Vaughan walks into Watkins' lab and sees Packer following his orders to use Isabel's well-being as leverage to force Watkins to be more compliant. Vaughan echoes these statements, but promises that no harm will come to her as long as Watkins follows his instructions and cooperates. Back in Vaughan's office, the Doctor spies a deep space radio installation in one of the nearby fields and wonders what is its purpose. Jamie spots Turner's helicopter in the distance, but he hears someone approaching and he and the Doctor turn away from the window. Packer enters and takes him to meet Watkins, who says that Trevor's daughter Anne talked to him about the TARDIS crew. The conversation is being monitored by Packer and Vaughan, who tells his subordinate that the Doctor's ship is capable of interstellar travel. However, the Doctor notices a piece of equipment monitoring them and he signals for Jamie to stop talking about the TARDIS whilst he disables the device. Vaughan is impressed by his ingenuity and reveals to Packer his instructions from their allies to destroy the Doctor. However, he insists about finding out the secrets about the TARDIS first, seeing that he does not take orders from anyone. In Watkins' lab, Watkins informs the Doctor that Vaughan wants to corner the market on electronic services, but the Doctor thinks he might be aiming slightly higher than that. Jamie alerts him to someone approaching and Vaughn bursts into the room and congratulates him on jamming the monitor but informs him that he will let Packer torture Zoe unless the Doctor gives him the information about the TARDIS and gives him one hour to decide. The Doctor and Jamie are then led away and Vaughn instructs Watkins to continue on with his work. En route to the elevator, the Doctor distracts Packer allowing Jamie to push him to the ground so he and the Doctor can get into the elevator and make a break. The Doctor then takes Jamie's knife and uses it to open the control panel so he can attempt to stop the elevator from being recalled. The lift stops between the 4th and 5th floors and this information is related to Packer, who is in the middle of being berated by Vaughan. Vaughan wonders what the Doctor is attempting to do and a flustered and embarrassed Packer summons a squad of security guards so he can pursue them. Meanwhile, the Doctor and Jamie manage to access the elevator roof and start to climb up the maintenance ladder towards the top floor. Unfortunately, Packer's men get the lift working again and they race up the ladder to avoid being squashed. Thankfully, it stops at the 6th floor and Packer and Vaughan rush in to find it empty. Packer fails to deduce that they have accessed the roof, but Vaughn points it out to him and he gives him one last chance to capture them. Fortunately though, the Doctor and Jamie manage to reach the roof and climb down a nearby fire escape. A furious Vaughn puts out a compound-wide alert and the duo hide in one of the train cars. They notice several of the metal crates inside and start to search for Zoe and Isabel, but are forced to hide when they hear a squad of guards approach the train car, with the intention of searching it. Jamie climbs into one of the crates and stares in silent horror when something under a tarp inside it starts to move. Episode 4 Packer and his men move and the Doctor calls Jamie out of the crate. 
Jamie tells him that something is alive in the crate, but the doctor is sceptical, saying that it was probably a trick of the light, but he agrees to look at Jamie's insistence. However, they overhear Packer ordering the girls to be taken to the administration building, and they decide to follow after them instead. Packer reports to Vaughn that his search has turned up empty, and tries to lay the blame at Vaughn's feet for not obeying their allies' orders. Vaughn again insists that he is the one in command of the invasion, and therefore gives orders instead of taking them. Packer seems incredulous at this, but Vaughn explains that he is the reason why he has forced Watkins to carry out his work. Apparently, one of the machines he designed scared their allies due to its ability to control emotions. They ordered it to be destroyed, but Vaughn orders Watkins to carry out his work so he can use it as an ace in the hole. Packer is sceptical of Vaughn's plans, but he thinks twice on it when Vaughn asks if he would rather be an emotionless husk like their allies. Vaughn says that they will use their allies' strength to take over the world, and then use the machine to eradicate them. If all else fails, he has a backup plan, to coerce the Doctor into revealing the secrets of the TARDIS so they can use it to escape. The Doctor and Jamie, meanwhile, follow the crates to the administrative building. Jamie spots a helicopter overhead, and says that it maybe belongs to the Brigadier, and suggests that the Doctor should radio for help. The Doctor says that they need to wait until they find the girls first so as not to put them at risk, and he leads Jamie inside. In the helicopter, Turner reports the increased security presence in the compound, but says that he has not seen any sign of the Doctor and Jamie. The Brigadier orders him to pull back and await further instructions before issuing a standby order to all units in the area. Unfortunately, Packer's men spot the helicopter and report it to him and Vaughn, as well as suspicious activity near the perimeter fences. Packer is concerned that the Doctor may have led unit forces to the compound, but Vaughn seems unfazed by this, saying that they are still in control of the situation. He sends an ultimatum across the compound PA system, giving the Doctor 10 minutes to surrender otherwise Zoe will face the consequences of his defiance. Jamie's concerned with this, but the Doctor seems unfazed, saying that 10 minutes is plenty of time for them to stage a rescue. Inside the building, Isabel bangs at the door demanding to be let out, and Zoe says that they were most likely imprisoned because of their destruction of the computer answering machine at the main office, but doesn't know why they were kidnapped instead of reported to the police. They start to look for a way out, and they spot the Doctor and Jamie climbing a fire escape and try to call out to them, but stop when the Doctor signals for them to be quiet. Zoe spots a security camera in the corner of the room and tells Isabel to act natural so as not to bring attention to their rescuers. The doctor radios the brigadier and requests that he send a helicopter to come and collect them after he and Jamie rescue the girls. The unit helicopter begins its approach and it is spotted by Packer and Vaughn, who orders it to be shot down if necessary. The helicopter hovers over the top of the building and it lowers a rope ladder that the doctor and Jamie throw over the side of the building. Jamie reluctantly agrees to descend the ladder and he reaches the window, much to the delight of Zoe and Isabel, who proceed to barricade the door. The trio then begin to climb up the roof amidst gunfire from Packer and his guards. The Doctor and the girls manage to climb onto the helicopter but the guards break onto the roof before Jamie has the chance to get in and so the helicopter takes off with him dangling from the rope ladder. Luckily he manages to make his way up the ladder safely despite the guards shooting at him. Turner reports back to the Brigadier who orders his men in the area to stand down. Packer reports back to Vaughn and expresses his concern about a unit raid on the compound, but this leads to an angry outburst from Vaughn, who tells him to simply follow his orders successfully from now on. He tells Packer to load Watkins and his machine, which he calls a Cerebratron, onto a vehicle for their return to London, as he intends to push the invasion to launch within 24 hours. Packer is shocked by this as he says that all the invasion forces that they have won't be ready in time, but Vaughn says that they will be able to succeed what they have at hand. Vaughn then dismisses Packer and, once he is alone, places a call through to the Ministry of Defence, looking to speak to a Major General Rutledge. Rutledge orders the line to be scrambled and nervously answers Vaughn's call, who tells Rutledge to stop the unit investigation. Vaughn then goes to see Watkins, who demands that he be taken 
to Isabel to ensure that he, she is safe but Vaughn rather unconvincingly tells him that she is fine and he can see her once he has finished building his machine. He threatens though that if he doesn't finish within 24 hours then some harm may come to Isabel. The helicopter returns to the unit base where the brigadier tells him that he intends to report to his superiors that Vaughn will have to be held accountable for his actions. Jamie notices the doctor behaving strangely and he brings up their experience with the missile fired from the dark side of the moon. Zoe fills the brigadier on what happened, but he seems sceptical of her story, but Turner mentions a rash of UFO sightings. The doctor asks if any of the pictures were taken of them, and Turner goes to retrieve the ones that were sent to them. The photos contain images of the strange-looking satellite that passed through the area that the TARDIS earlier occupied. The brigadier says that the reports have been coming in for over a year, but aerial reconnaissance came back with nothing. Turner informs him that the sightings all seem to disappear in the airspace above the compound. The doctor asks Jamie if he potentially recognised the thing he saw in the crates, and when Jamie says no, he announces that they would have to return to the International Electromatics Office in London, as that seems to be where the cargo from the satellites is being taken. He asks for a map of the area around the office, and after spotting something on the map, asks for a canoe. Later, the doctor and Jamie paddle their way down the river into an underground canal that leads into the lower levels of the International Electromatics Office. They make their way back down into the loading dock, where they see a group of men in protective gear attaching a machine to one of the crates. The Doctor reveals to Jamie that his fears have come true as they watch a Cyberman tear its way out of the crate. End of part one. So, now that I've left you all in suspense for next week, we're going to go over to the trivia spot. So Trish, what strange and wonderful information do you have for us this week? <laughs> Back to the strange. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so this week we have the first part of the invasion. So the air date for episodes one through four is the 2nd of November 1968 to the 23rd of November 1968. The writer for the story is Derek Sherwin. Now you have heard Derek's name mentioned over the last couple of weeks. He was the script editor from the web of fear through to the mind robber last week mm-hmm. this is his only credited story as a writer though obviously he did contribute to many stories as the script editor but the script editor can't have the writer credit so he only gets the one writing credit mm-hmm. he actually also went on to be a producer for the show he was the producer from the war games to spearhead from space or rather he was producer from for the war games and spearhead from space <laughs> since there was only two of them um overseeing the transition from patrick troughton on to john pertwee hmm. those two stories make him the shortest serving producer of the classic era of doctor who derek passed away in 2018 as our director we have douglas canfield now obviously we've discussed dougie before this is story eight for him and there are still three more to go Now, in this story, Dougie and his wife actually have appearances, kind of. So, Dougie appears in the story as the driver who gives the Doctor, Jamie and Zoe a lift to London. That was Dougie Canfield. And his wife, Sheila, was the international electromatics computer voice and the telephone operator. Oh. Yeah. So, is she like the Majel Barrett of Doctor Who? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, with Derek no longer script editor, we have handed over to the next person in line, which is Terence Dix. So, Terence Dix is known by a lot of people who like Classic Who. Some people refer to him as Uncle Terence, 
because he has such a big contribution to the show. His tenure as script editor is record setting because he would go on to hold the position until 1974, which is about six years, five and a half to six years. He's covered like a lot of ground, you know. He's covered like covered like some of the like favorite parts of Doctor or the the I suppose like the seventies period of Doctor Who for me. Oh, definitely, and he's also very well known within the community as one of the biggest contributors to the Target novelization series. Mm. He wrote a load of them. The story originally had a working title of Return of the Cybermen, but they changed it to the Invasion because they wanted to keep the Cybermen's reappearance a surprise until episode four, which I like. I, I'm not a big fan of the of the species yeah. stories because I think it gives everything away. It was originally actually meant to be a four-parter. It wasn't meant to be an eight-parter originally, but it had to be expanded to eight when the next story, which was meant to be called The Dream Spinner, fell through. So they had to up it to eight. In-universe, this story takes place four years after the events of The Web of Fear. So that unit dating controversy we were talking about before. Yeah. This contributes heavily to that. Originally, Professor Travers and his daughter were meant to appear. They were meant to be in the story. It was, it was meant to be they go to Professor Travers' house and meet him and Anne and they work together in the story. However, Mervyn Heisman and Henry Lincoln refused to grant the rights to the characters. We've talked about their falling out with Derek before. And the reason why Paddy didn't get his like best non-created Doctor Who episode ever. Yeah, so like, he, like even though, like, you know, like, even though... It, this is a completely different scenario. When you said that Derek Sherman was involved, I was like, you bastard. <laughs> <laughs> so episodes one and four are currently missing from the BBC archive. However, they were animated and released on DVD in 2006. You can also view it on BritBox if you're that way inclined. A couple of things from the animation. So in episode one, the words bad wolf are written on Isabel's wall. Kind of an in-joke to the 2005 relaunch of the series. The car that the Dr. Jamie and Zoe hitch a ride in, so driven driven by Dougie, uh, has the license plate H2363, which was a nod to An Unearthly Child, which aired on the 23rd of November 1963. Additionally, and you know, anyone who's sort of watched this story sort of back to back, and we've mentioned this previously when it comes to the animation mm-hmm. they get Zoe's clothes wrong yeah um they didn't animate her in her sparkly catsuit they have her in the outfit that she changes into later in the story they have her yeah. wearing that from the beginning because obviously it's cheaper just to have her be one asset rather than having to do multiple assets but it means that it doesn't really make sense in the story because you have Isabel being like Oh, like you know, you look good. Let's go get you some proper gear. And apparently, the proper gear is just the feather boa. Yeah, <laughs> which doesn't really make sense. Um, am I right in thinking that this is actually the very first animated story? I think it uh, might be. I think this was the. F- I think this was the first one that they ever animated. Hmm. Because I actually remember when I bought you uh, the keys of Marinus it was a toss up between the keys of Marinus and this one ah. and I don't know why I went with the keys of Marinus I think I just wanted to go back maybe earlier hmm. what my love of Doctor Who would have been like had I watched this one first I don't think you would have been the passionate defender of William Hartnell's legacy that you are today 
or the Barbara and Ian fiend that you actually are if you are. Oh, I think that was inevitable. Yeah. <laughs> so this is the first incomplete serial since the Celestial Toymaker. There are no tally snaps. So kudos to the guys who did the animation because they had no tally snaps to go with. Mm. At one point, there is, when they're on the sort of, the site where, where the company is, my brain is not working, mm. um, there's some graffiti on the wall that says Kilroy was here. So Fraser Hines actually takes credit for that. <laughs> <laughs> Dougie Canfield objected. He wasn't particularly happy with it until Fraser pointed out that it was a building site built by British workmen and that that's the type of thing they would have graffitied on the wall as a bit of fun. This is one of the first serials in which the scenes are recorded out of order. So usually all of the scenes are recorded in order. But for this one, just because there was so much location filming, first of all. Mm. But also they were using videotape editing technology that was you know, being improved. This was shot out of order. Now, we've sort of made comments before about, you know, sometimes the actors, you know, would you know, comment on skirts and looking up them. We mentioned it last week in The Mind Robber. Yes. You also would have noticed watching the story that at one point, two girls go up a ladder and then F- Jamie follows up after them. Mm-hmm. So according to Fraser, Sally Faulkner, who plays Isabel, her skirt kept blowing up around her neck while she was trying to climb the rope ladder up to the helicopter. So to avoid the same thing happening to him, he sewed lead weights into his kilt. Now, apparently he got the idea because he had read somewhere that that's what the queen does to <laughs> keep her skirts sort of down, whatever. And he was a keen fisherman, so he had lead weights and he sewed them into his kilt to keep it from flowing up around his up around his neck. <laughs> Completely random fact that I included because I thought it was funny. Uh, the International Electronics Headquarters. Mm-hmm. Guinness factory in Acton. And apparently, <laughs> once the free Guinness appeared, not much work got done. As, yeah, I was about to say, it was lunchtime, lunchtime coincide with happy hour. <laughs> so, episode four of the story aired on the series' fifth anniversary. It's an interesting fact because this episode, where you yes. and I are talking right now, yeah. is going to go out the day before our first anniversary of this podcast. Yeah. Spooky. <laughs> yeah. And apparently, I didn't I didn't realise this until I looked up, this is the only eight-part serial yep. ever. There is 12 for uh, Dalek's Master Plan, eight for this, and then 10 for War Games. And I think yeah. those are the o- that's the only time you have something bigger than a six. Mm. Um, oh, I know uh, a lot of John's first run, there's sevens in his first season. Yeah. Yeah, and we'll then, get to that in a couple I, of weeks. Yeah, and then with Colin, there's The Trial of a Time Lord, which is an overarching season with four mm. separate stories within it, all held together by a narrative. So you can kind of say, oh, well, that's, you know, that. And it's like, no, <laughs> it's not. <laughs> that's a long way off, yes, as well. That is a very long way off. So Zoe isn't in episode three. Mm-hmm. As you can imagine, Wendy was on holidays, as we do. So, moving on to our cast. As the Brigadier, Alistair Gordon Lethbridge-Stewart, we have Nicholas Courtney is back. Uh, the, now, now the Brig is here. 
now the brig is here. Previously, yeah. he was the colonel, which is a little bit weird because that just makes me think of Jack O'Neill from SG One. And before that, he was obviously in the Daleks' master plan as Brett. Yes. Hashtag justice for Brett. Yes. <laughs> in this story, as we've just said, he became the man people know him as. He is the Brig. Here he is. We'll see him many more times in the role and we'll end up discussing all of the particulars about him. We did get a bit of an overview of Nick back in the Daleks' master plan around where he grew up and stuff like that. Apparently, and I didn't notice this because I watched it first and I looked up the tri- trivia afterwards, but I'm going to have to double check when finishing off the story for next week. Apparently, throughout the story, his mustache changes size and shape. <laughs> yeah, because he, he, he didn't actually have a mustache. It's a, it's a prop or something, isn't it? Yeah, like, I think, I remember his mustache gets mentioned a lot in like dvd extras yeah. <laughs> um and obviously it was in his book but i can't really recall i think he did offer to grow a mustache but instead they just used a fake one and apparently in this story it kept changing size and shape so like the mustache <laughs> that everyone knows as the brigadiers wasn't actually the Courtney's. it's like um oh prince john and robin hood men in tights he was like, your hmm. mole, wasn't it on the other side? It's like, I have a mole. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant film. Yeah. <laughs> As Captain Jimmy Turner, we have Robert Sideway, or Sideway. I'll go with Sideway. Yeah. This is his second appearance on Doctor Who. We previously saw him in The Savages, where he played Avon. So that was one of the guys who took um, Stephen and Dodo around to show them the city in The Savages. He was oh. the guy in that duo. His non-Who acting credits include The Angry Gods, Emergency War 10, The Avengers, and Crossroads. As Isabel Watkins, we have the previously mentioned Sally Faulkner. This is Sally's only on-screen Doctor Who credit, though she has done some work with Big Finish. Her non-Who credits include The Newcomers, The Culture Vultures, Zed Cars, Dixon of Doc Green, Brookside, and The Bill. As Packer, or... I how, Vaughn says it. Packer. I don't know how he does it, but like it was the funniest thing ever. Anyway, as Packer, we have Peter Halliday. This is the first of six stories for Peter. He's also in Doctor Who and the Silurians, The Ambassadors of Death, Cannibal of Monsters, City of Death, more death, and Remembrance of the Daleks. His non-Who credits include The Scarf, The Common Room, A for Andromeda, The Andromeda Breakthrough, The Avengers, Zed Cars, the Boy with Two Heads, The Remains of the Day, and Goodnight Sweetheart. Peter passed away in 2012. I just think of the scarf as like, you know, like Tom Baker's like life story. <laughs> like, now on Lifetime, the scarf. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, as Vaughn, we have Kevin Stoney. So this is the second of three appearances for Kevin. We previously discussed him in the Daleks Master Plan, where he played Mavic Chen. And we'll see him again in Revenge of the Cybermen. Um, I think see now we know okay as of the end of episode 4 Tab- uh, Vaughn is in league with the Cybermen mm-hmm. so I've established a headcanon yeah that Mavic Chen is the descendant of Vaughn <laughs> okay because Mavic Chen we're also- going to have to see how Revenge of the Cybermen fits into this <laughs> headcanon of yours <laughs> plays descendants like <laughs> 
Because <laughs> uh, if I recall correctly, he wasn't human in that one. <laughs> no, he's not. He's one of the people Vogons. who's... Yes, the Vogons. Um, but yeah. <laughs> and, oh, I can hear... Do you mind? I can hear the way he says Packer in my head, yeah. but I can't get my mouth to reproduce it. And it's like, Packer! <laughs> also... Um, uh, one person that also makes an appearance in this is John Levine, who plays Corporal Benton. Now, he will obviously make a, like a huge appearance as going on, but uh, I think, if I'm remembering correctly, John played one of the Yeti in Web of Fear. He did. Yes. And when we eventually get to Benton as a full-blown character, yeah. we'll go into him in a bit more detail. Yes. And yes, all that's going around in my head now is... Fenton! <laughs> Jesus Christ! Fenton! Fenton! <laughs> uh. Oh, so good. So, as always, some really, really interesting stuff there on the trivia section. Uh, I'm pretty sure they were... We could probably tell in some of the performances in the story when they're pissed and when they're sober. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie, like, you know, the Fraser Hines going, you want me to do a helicopter stunt? Right. Samples. Free samples, please. Free samples. <laughs> cool. So, as we said at the top of the hour, we're going to give our um, thoughts on the characters... Uh, on the story so far um, so we've got the doctor we have the companions as always Jamie and Zoe along with Isabel uh, Captain Turner uh, the Brig for, I think for this story he'll be called the Brigadier but every other subsequent story he'll appear I would just refer to him as the Brig <laughs> and, then, okay. and then we have the villains of Vaughn and Paca <laughs> <laughs> it's so good <laughs> so good surely there's yeah, a clip like, of it on YouTube or something that like when we put up this episode we have to include a clip to it because there, there, there probably so is like, <laughs> uh, I would try and like going forward now I would try and say Packer in, in that but it would just kind of ruin the <laughs> the extent of the runtime of the episode so no I think when I'm doing the recap I would refer to him as Packer <laughs> So, okay, we're going to have to show her something else because it's literally just yeah. going around in my brain. Cool. All right. So, do you want to head first or will I head first on the doctor? Uh, I'll go first. Cool. Sure, fuck it. Why not? <sighs> like, give people a chance to get to the door. <laughs> <laughs> people who are impatient with doorbells do my not. Mm-hmm. There's a reason behind this, right? Okay. I live in a bungalow. It is only so big. It is quite small, relatively speaking. Whenever the postman comes, he rings the bell twice and knocks on the door. I'm like, impatient fucker, give me a second to get off my hole and at least start walking to the door <laughs> before you start ringing again. So yeah, he's a bit impatient. Um, a few things about the doctor in the story f- based on conversations we've had previously. Yes. Right. Two big ones. One, stop kicking Jamie. You know, I- I'm not a big fan of the whole, you know, 
the doctor doesn't like people mentioning the TARDIS type thing. I'm not a big fan of that, and I've mentioned that in the past, right? Mm-hmm. But at least brief him in advance. <laughs> what is he allowed to say? Where and to whom? Yeah. And stop hitting him and kicking him <laughs> when he's trying to have a fucking conversation. The second thing, stop making Jamie do dangerous shit he clearly doesn't fucking want to do. No. Like the thing with the ladder, right? So we've got the ladder, we've got the helicopter. They throw the ladder over the edge. Jamie looks at the doctor. The doctor's like, on you go. And Jamie's literally looking at him going, I beg your pardon, what? (laughs) (laughs) And there's no like, please, Jamie, you know, the girls need your help. There was no like trying to placate him or trying to encourage him. It was just, on you go. Yeah, it was, like, it was like this look of expectation as this kind of go like, well, you know, do your job. <laughs> yeah, which is just like... <laughs> I get that that's the role that Jamie serves in the story. That's his role within the team. But Jesus, like, at least yeah. give him some semblance of an option. Um, the other thing that I found a little bit creepy. He watches how often people blink. <laughs> it was like... Um... It, it was a very odd way or the villain giveaway. It was like, he's not blinking enough. It's like, cool. And the fact that he just seemed, you know, Bond villain as fuck. <laughs> That's had not nothing the, to do with that, it. No, no. It's like, you know, you don't blink a whole lot. <laughs> no, but, but seriously though, like looking at the four episodes as a whole, like those are just a few like, sort of like nitpicky things. Yeah. I think the Doctor does quite well in the story. I think his intuition is clearly flaring up. Yeah really really well i love his interactions with the brigadier i think you know him and jamie obviously go off and do their own thing mm-hmm. he doesn't have many interactions with zoe which i'll get to later when we're talking about zoe but as the doctor himself i think this was a very a very good solid performance oh it yeah he he paced this out wonderfully i think and yeah. one thing that I I love I love seeing it, uh, because it's it's kind of reminiscent of a very f- favorite moment of mine from the modern era from the modern section of Who, but I hate it when a character is proven right. Oh no, mm. I know I love seeing it when they when they when they when they're proven right because of you get to see like just every emotion run through their face, and here when he's like going, he, like he knows that you know. Sorry for coming from the moon. It has X, Y, and Z of like exi- it exhibits this type of behavior, whatever the case is. And he's like, I don't want it to be them. Please don't let it be them. And then it's it's fucking them, you know? Yeah. It's the Cybermen. Um. So I know that we'll get to see it in the reprieve because uh, for some reprise. Re- reprise, sorry, because for some reason the animations they they animate the section that will be uh, reprised in the in the next episode but i would i really want episode four to be found because i want to see that whole section leading mm. up to the discovery as to i don't want to be right i'm right you know yeah no i think i think patrick does that very well yeah it, in it, general yeah like if you go back to our discussion about the moon base mm. like he like he really puts the hairs on the back of your neck when he's the, that whole thing of like you know yes but did you check in here yeah and it's like oh god 
Yeah. No, I think I think it's a nice solid performance. I think that's probably the highlight of the performance, I think, would be that sequence um towards the end of episode four. Yeah. Is it I had one or two nitpicky things, but overall it's just you know but, solid but, Patrick throughout. Yeah, like, me. like like I even like the section where it's like they're cornered by the two unit cards and he's like, Well, not now to do but wait and he just pulls out a deck of cards and I love the chemistry that both him and Fraser have, as well as like the Doctor and Jamie. Because mm. Jamie just was like, right, fair enough. What are we playing? Yeah. I would have liked to have seen that scene hold for a little bit longer. Like, have the unit guys take a little bit longer to get to them. Yeah. Because he starts dealing as they're standing over him. I would have liked to have seen it just, just take a yeah. little bit longer. So an extra one or two seconds for the unit guys to get to them. Yeah. Um, but no, that, that that's great. And that's a total second Doctor. Oh, absolutely. Like, uh. Bill would have, you know... You know, sat there maybe resting on his cane, mm-hmm. looking kind of nonchalant and being like, "Okay, what can I do for you?" Type thing, you yeah. know. But you know, Patrick just sort of plays it up every I, time, which is brilliant. I feel like Bill would have found something very interesting on the ground. I would have like kind of uh, gave an explanation as to what it is to who whichever companion was with him at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So, uh, Jamie next. Yeah, for myself. Cool. Climb down off the side of a building, are a fuck off, Doctor. That's <laughs> 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 just like his whole his whole thing was like, ah, oh, come on, are you fucking serious? Um, but again, it's what I love about Jamie is that okay, he is he is a reluctant hero because hmm. he may not want to leap into danger, but once he's there, it's like, okay, look, I'm committed to this course of action to help save my friends, you know? Yeah. I think when I was watching it um, the other night, I just kept thinking of in Deep Space Nine, mm-hmm. one of the main themes was shitting on O'Brien and making <laughs> O'Brien's life just an absolute shit heap. <laughs> There's episodes where he gets tortured and all this kind of stuff. Um, I think with Jamie's thing, it's like, oh, you know, what's a key factor of the second Doctor era? Jamie being forced to do shit. He really doesn't fucking want to do. Dear science <laughs> he fiction, he can do it. He just doesn't fucking want to. Dear science fiction writers, leave Gaelic characters alone. <laughs> um, my first note on this, though, right for Jamie was like the invasion, a tale of one boy and his radio. Oh, he he got really attached to that radio. Like he, he really he, did. He gets so upset when the doctor starts to like tinker around in it. It's like you but know. But think about it. It's his. Yeah. It's his little piece of future technology. It was yeah. given to him, and he's like, "No, it's mine. Give it back." Yeah. Uh, but it's it's like when like you, what is it? Um, I heard a great. Uh, do you remember the show Argumental? Like you know, where the teams of comedians. Oh yeah, were, yeah, yeah. There was a brilliant one where it was like uh, they were talking about the, the EU or the, the European Parliament. He goes like, they can't help but interfere. They're like a dad around Lego. <laughs> so I think that, I think that's like the Doctor and Jamie. He's like a dad around Lego. That's a really good analogy. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, Jamie does his thing here. It's nice, solid Jamie. Nothing stands out really for me um other than the holy shit do i have to go down the side of a building thing um it's just solid jamie for me on this one yeah like it's i think that's gonna be like with the exception of 
I think like with Zoe, in terms of uh, like the, the the core crew, for the two lads, it's a pretty standard performance. Like again, yeah. nothing exceptional. Good, but, it, but it, standard. It, yeah, yeah. Like, it doesn't need to be, as we've said before, like it doesn't need to be something new. It does like when it's something new and it's good. Like you know, it's an it's amazing addition. But when it's just a solid performance, like what more do you mm. want? You know. I think for for this stage in Patrick and Jamie's tenure on the show, hmm. they've very much entered into Ian Chesterton territory of yeah. solid performance, solid characterization, time after time. You're not getting new stuff each story because we know these characters now. There's yeah. not going to be development every story. Whereas Zoe, and we can get on to her now in a second, mm-hmm. we're still kind of getting to know her. I know she's been around for a few stories now, but she's still new in comparison yeah. um, and trying to find her way. So, Yeah, because like, I suppose like, if you think about it, Zoe's introduction is her introduction story. And mm-hmm. and the companions, like they, they don't always have the biggest presence in their introductionary story. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, we wish... Um, Dominators, you, you you see them the seeds for what's yeah. there. Mine robber, she's thrown into a completely different world uh, outside of her uh, wheelhouse. So therefore, we're not going to see her at her best. We we can see her like grow, but we can't see her at her best. Here in a contemporary setting with technology that she can understand, we're probably going to start to see what Zoe is fully made of. Mm. And we 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 already see that coming through. So going on going on to talk about Zoe proper, like yeah. Zoe one machine zero. Oh, absolutely. Like you can tell she sees this computer and she, like, you sort of imagine her just sort of like cracking her knuckles being like, okay, I get to play. Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, it's like when, um, do you remember, I can't remember the name of the episode, but uh, when Data doesn't, he plays that game, but not to win, just to completely counteract his opponent. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> the thing with this stuff is attached to their fingers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, I think Zoe is starting to become like a little mini doctor because very fashionable. She rocked the fuck out of that feather boa. <laughs> <laughs> hates hates uppity computers, and actually seems to have good intuition about what's going on. Yeah, I mean. I don't like the fact that she's once again separated from the Doctor and Jamie. And I'm not a big fan of how they separated her either. Yeah. She literally walks in the door. Isabel says she looks nice. And Zoe immediately starts modelling for her. Mm. <laughs> like, there's no awkwardness that we would maybe expect from Zoe. Like, Zoe's very relaxed with Isabel, which is kind of... I, I don't know. It, it, it came across as a bit odd for me. Um, that she would be so relaxed so quickly with someone she doesn't fucking know. So like there, see that was the thing. I was like going right, Jesus, this is very, I suppose like you know very odd, very sudden. But mm-hmm. what I like about it is that it's allowing us to see a small bit of Zoe as, for okay, like to kind of like I suppose the best phrasing is we're allowing to see Zoe, the lady, the girl, as opposed to Zoe the astrophysician or astrophysicist, you know. Yeah, and that's fine, but like. This is a scientific story. True. The doctor was going to a scientific research facility. Yeah. And Zoe went with him. Or Zoe didn't go with him. Yeah. Jamie went with Jamie him. Like, it wouldn't have been a bit funny, like, in a sort of, you know, 
subverting expectations way if Isabel liked taking pictures of Jamie in his kilt and so Jamie stayed with Isabel yeah. while the doctor and Zoe went off. Like, can you imagine? I was thinking about this afterwards. Can you imagine if they split that way? So the doctor and Zoe went off because science mm-hmm. and Jamie's not a scientist. Jamie stayed with Isabel. Eventually the two of them get sick of it and they go off to find them. They enter and you just have Jamie arguing with the machine <laughs> until the machine explodes. <laughs> Yeah, that 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 would have been. I think that would have been funny. But I think there actually is a bit in the first episode, like where Jamie tries to pose for the camera, and Isabel's like, "No." <laughs> yeah, I would have liked it if you know she's like, "Oh my god, can I take your picture?" And maybe Zoe assumes she means of her, but she actually meant of Jamie. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, I don't like the fact that in scientific stories we don't have Zoe with the Doctor because I want to see them science shit up together yeah and we don't get that and like at the after her rescue they go back to the unit base and then it's the doctor and jamie show again um she gets left behind the two boys go off and it's like why do you keep leaving her behind and like in the script she chooses to stay behind but they don't really give her a reason why yeah like there's no explanation as to my decision to stay behind here yeah um you asked me when we first started watching Zoe, you posed the question to me, or you, you made the statement that in a lot of people's minds, the second Doctor TARDIS team that yeah. comes into their head is the Doctor, Jamie and Zoe. Yeah. Um, I'm not seeing that. I'm seeing the Doctor and Jamie, and Zoe is there. Yeah. And I, I think that's probably... Um that's see that's the one thing that uh, was kind of consistent through like patrick's run is that with the exception of power of the daleks Mm -hmm. jamie is there the entire in the entirety so in one way like you know the tardis team is the doctor and jamie Mm. and it just so happens that other people come along for the ride at various points in time you know so like, cause yeah, again, like I'm a couple of like uh, I'm a couple of stories ahead because of the, mm. the review, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say anything, but I would yeah like like so far I would agree that there's we've seen nothing to really indicate that you know this is the pivotable or pivotable pivotable J- Jesus, we haven't seen anything that this is the the the, the pinnacle of the second Doctor Tardis team, yeah, like in terms of like trios, you yeah. know that sort of go together. Um, you know, if you think about like trios, like you've got like Harry, Ron, and Hermione, right? Yeah. From Harry Potter, where Harry is the central character, mm-hmm. he has stories with both of them, Philosopher's Stone. He has stories heavily focused more on one of them, so Chamber of Secrets. It was Harry and Ron, mm-hmm. but then Prisoner of Azkaban, it's Harry and Hermione. So you have yeah. a balance of your trio, and then you've got like um, Order of the Phoenix, where you've got. Ron and Hermione being closer together and Harry being separate yeah. and I kind of just wish we saw that a bit more it bothered me with Victoria a bit but it's bothering I think it's actually in some ways it's bothering me more with Zoe because Zoe is a future scientist yeah. <laughs> and and she can kick ass because we saw it last week so, so there's no reason to leave her behind we're just not seeing it yeah Hopefully things will change because this is only the first part of a two of um of a story. 
This is true, and I am hopeful that the second part of the story um, will. It's not, it's not. It's not even give Zoe more to do because Zoe's great, like by herself. And I don't want anyone to think that I don't like Zoe in the story. I do. Um, her thing with the computer is fantastic. Her dynamic with Isabel is really good. All of that's fantastic. It's just I want to see her as part of the core, and she's not. And hopefully, in the second half of this, uh, so next week, we'll get to see her as more of that core piece of of the team TARDIS that we have. Yeah, no, I agree. So, we come on to our guest companions, our allies. Hmm. So we have the Brigadier, Isabel and Turner. So do you want to leave the the break to last? Because we're going to probably gush about him the most. <laughs> yeah, I would... Yeah. Turner, I wouldn't really call a companion. Personally no. speaking. Okay. So would you put him more in a prominent character role? Or would you just not have him discussed not really he he was there um the way i see turner is turner is a turner is useful in in this type of discussion turner is useful when discussing the brigadier Uh turner by himself very helpful soldier good boy yeah that's about (laughs) it (laughs) i don't know if you'd anything better for him but i literally have very helpful soldier. <laughs> yeah, well, I like, see. I suppose like the pre the pre, the the other type of character that we'd seen in a secondary role to the brig was Knight Captain Knight from mm. Web of Fear, who was regular army. So he was like it was a very different relationship. I thought. Whereas here, yeah. it's like he, the unit guys are coming across more like men in black than they are soldiers. Because, yeah, because, I suppose because, in a way. Well, yeah. like Benton does, but that's because Benton's not dressed in uniform. Yeah, he's not dressed in uniform. Um, but like, so basically, my thing was that, like, I as the story is going on, I think that he's a very nice compliment. Like, he he never addresses him by a rank. He always addresses him as his first name. He always addresses him as Jimmy. Yeah, but this is where I think that Jimmy is an interesting character in how we see the brigadier. Yeah, Jimmy by uh, himself is just Jimmy. <laughs> yeah, but like I suppose I kind of put him in there because again, look, he's uh, of the unit people that have been there so far. He's the most prominent of them thus far, and mm. we'll see. Will he still be prominent next week? <laughs> but I, don't, I don't know. I just, I th- no, I agree with you in the sense of the fact that he makes the brigadier, or he helps get across who the brigadier is, yeah, as as a commander. Uh, so probably not a whole yeah look we spent probably more time talking than he thought we might be talking about him now I but, wrote three words <laughs> <laughs> good boy soldier uh, no I, um, I I like him because I think it's like, he's like, and but also his whole thing of like the, um, you know, the brig is like you know well I don't know what we can do like, or I don't know anything about that at which point you'll know, he's are going oh but what about those rash of ufo sightings and it's it's weird like because he seemed initially skeptical of the doctor's you know abilities and all that kind of stuff but the minute they you know the whole concept of maybe something out of the ordinary is there he's like well how about all this huge plethora of information that i have for you but i suppose look we're four episodes into an eight-part story more time might tell yeah 
Isabel. So we have Isabel. Um, I think Isabel is a very interesting side character. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think she, so far in the story, and I'm really interested to get how Isabel is developed in the second half of the story. So far, she hasn't really contributed a whole much, as opposed to being um, a bit of an information dump. <laughs> you know, she's the character that provides the information that we need to move the story forward. Um, but she seems like a nice girl. I I love the fact that like she's this sort of like struggling artist type. Do you know that like leaves messages on walls? Although we have seen in a alternative Doctor Who that leaving messages on walls as opposed to on paper isn't always effective mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know she she's cool she's quirky I don't I'm not a fan of her taste in music though no no that song gave me nightmares as a child <laughs> <laughs> which seems silly I am aware. Um, for audience benefit, the song that she plays on her gramophone is Teddy Bear's Picnic. But when I was about four or five, we went to the Isle of Man on holidays. And I distinctly remember, because it haunted me for years, we went on this sort of evening walk through a wood and... In the wood, there was these small teddy bears set up around the place. Like, it was a sort of attraction, like you paid to go in. There were these small teddy bears set up around the place, and they just played that song over and over again. And it was, like, really dusk, and you said all these teddy bears looking out at you from the trees. It was like if you took Return of the Jedi and made it creepy. And played that song (laughs) over the top of it. So, yeah. (laughs) You're the teddy bear's picnic. <laughs> <laughs> Completely uh, random, unrelated to Isabella as a character whatsoever. But I question her taste in music. <laughs> um, I got a kind of like a, a sense of Polly offer, you know, in the sense of like she's like the hip and happening chick who, uh, but like she seems to be well capable of taking care of herself and is like I'll be interesting to see again how she kind of develops with things. But like, mm. there's no fear in her, like, and she's not like um, she's not like an anchor that Zoe has to drag around with her, you know. Yeah, no, I'd agree with you on that one. So, the brigadier, calm, suave, confident, the mustache. <laughs> what more can I say? Nothing, because he is amazing. Um, no, I. I genuinely love how happy he is to see the Doctor and Jamie again. Like uh, that—that's the thing. He's just like he's just Doctor, you know, Doctor Packer, <laughs> but it's just like ah, Doctor, ah, McCrimmon, and it's just like it's—he is genuine, as you say. Yeah, it's just like this, you know. It, it's like when you meet like a favorite cousin or something like that you know. Yeah. No. It, it. He clearly is so happy to see them again, and. Not to destroy anything about the Brigadier down the line, but mm-hmm. this interaction is so different to any interaction I've seen him have up to now. Do you know, if you think about him, like jump the timeline a little bit, right? If you think about him with 
John Pertwee's doctor. If you think about him with Tom's. There's just so much. I, maybe it's because Eunice is new. <laughs> do you know? Yeah. And that he's seen some shit, but he hasn't seen all the shit he's later going to see. <laughs> but he's just so happy to see them again. Yeah. Do you know? And it's a complete, genuine, great, I know these guys, they know what they're doing, give them all the help we can, and like total enjoyment of seeing them. It did surprise me, I, w- I will say, that he called Captain Turner Jimmy. Yeah. Because what we've seen in the Brigadier in the past, so looking at Web of Fear, I'd maybe understand him calling him Turner, but I would kind of expect him to call him Captain. Yeah. You know, the fact that he kept just referring to him as Jimmy. <laughs> yeah. Even when, like, communicating, like, when Jimmy was up in the helicopter, I'm like, you are so laid back. <laughs> I like him. I like him this way. Yeah, yeah no, like, it's great um, because like, it's just like he's, when he's like that, he's like the type of, like, he's like your favorite boss almost. You know? He's the type of boss that you, you want to work for, you know? Um, and again, like, I, sp- I suppose because of that, he's he just makes leadership seem so effortless. Mm. Like he's in charge of like, you know, UNIT, which, you know, is, it's a multinational organization. Yet we only ever seem to see British soldiers. <laughs> but, um, hey, in fairness, so far in this in Doctor Who, this is their first appearance. So let's not let's not jump the timeline too much on, cool. on right. the okay. international so, base of you. Yes. Alright, so yes, but like, with that such level of responsibility, you would think that he would be a bit more like staunch and you know upright and like stiff upper lip type thing. But it's not. He's mm. just again it's just like effortless even like the way like where he just easily reclines and relays information back into back to the doctor it's great do you know what it makes me wonder what so after the yeti thing that's mm-hmm. when unit was set up so back in the yeti he was just normal army same as captain knights right mm-hmm. then he got promoted to brigadier and got given command of unit i wonder if he got to pick his team if the reason why he's so casual with Jimmy, you know, he, he refers to the others by their rank and, and stuff like that, mm-hmm. but it seems very relaxed environment um, compared to what we saw with the way he was in, in Web of Fear. I wonder if he got to hand pick his team. And these are people he knows. Yeah. And he's had good working relationships with before. So no Evans, no. <laughs> Uh, as a driver I am Uh, (laughs) but yeah so I what I one thing I really want to see is like okay he's a higher rank now he's much more responsibility Mm. when it comes time to get stuck in will he lead from the front or will he let Jimmy do it that's one thing that I'm looking forward to seeing yeah that's going to be interesting in the the second half um Is he going to lead from the bunker or lead from the front? Yeah. So, villains. Yes. Cool. We have Packer and Vaughn. Mm-hmm. So who do you want to do first? We'll do Packer first and then build up to Vaughn, I think. Um, cool. Packer is really a punch first, ask questions later type of person. <laughs> he really and is. And yet... And yeah, so the thing is, he comes across as this very sort of 
you know, tough guy, you know, like I said, wants to punch first, ask questions later. He doesn't do well under pressure, though. No, he really doesn't. He absolutely fell to pieces it's like, very quickly. Yeah, because like, I got the suppression of all bark and no bite from him, you know? Mm. And, like, the only reason that he you know, battered Jamie is because he was thrown by, like, his own men, you know? So, like, when he shoved Jamie, it was, like, with the security of that he'd have others to kind of back him up type thing. And uh, yeah, as you said, like he goes to police, the pe- pieces, pieces when things don't go to plan. Like when Vaughn starts going, but that's not what we, like, that's not what we agreed with them. Are you mad? And all that stuff. It's like, dude, come on, fuck it. <laughs> Peter, ch- no, but Peter- you can even see it in like his presence. Like his hair becomes disheveled. Mm. He, he's, you know, he's clearly sweating. He's so anxious, and also his guards can't shoot for shit. No. Um, and he really comes across as this sort of like hired security that presented himself as oh yeah you know we're like the top security in the country blah 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 yeah but it's actually a bunch of idiots like yeah do you know um we, we mentioned we mentioned before uh or you mentioned before bad lads army when mm-hmm. we were talking about evans yeah packers totally maybe not a bad lads army but definitely a lads army type where he, yeah he went in thinking he was the shit and then it goes absolutely fucking balls up when he's actually faced under any pressure. Yeah, like the guy who, like, yo, he was showing them all how to make their beds because he went to boarding school and then he dropped yeah. out, like, because he didn't like it anymore. Yeah, the uh, the rugby guy, yeah. Yeah. I was actually going, like, when you're talking about the guards can't shoot for shit, I was like, I refuse to make the Stormtrooper analogy because... No, because I actually hate out, that and I hate... It's the one thing with the Mandalorian, I hate the fact that they drive that point home. Yeah. Like, no. it, like okay, like, because it was Bill Burr, saying it I got a chuckle out of it because I love when he gets like so like angry <laughs> and stuff but uh, yeah no I just like like no I mean at the end of season one when you have the two guys on the bikes oh yeah that part playing shoot yeah. the can yeah now that was kind of I, I don't know it's, it's just it's a, it's a weird one like because it was like oh yeah Stormtroopers can't sue for shit and it's like really like I think they annihilated the fuck out of the rebel army on Hoth <laughs> yeah no that Separate conversation for a different podcast. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, but yeah, like I think, I'm just yeah. As you, so, in part two of the story now, like will Packer's hairline, you know, get into order, or will it just go even wilder? <laughs> I have this image of like, you know, the sort of sketch where like, you know, some guy is being given a dressing down. It cuts to him, and he literally has like buckets of water running off his face. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Or was it the meme about you know the perfectly drawn horse? It's just like yeah. like just like with that with like Packer's hair from like a profile angle. So it's like all and it eventually gets like you know business in the front, party in the middle, and God knows what the fuck at the back. <laughs> uh, but now on to the man who calls the shot, Packer's boss, to buy his to buy his Vaughn. Oh, Vaughn is an interesting character. I find. The man um, rocks. The man rocks a turtleneck. <laughs> he really does. He really does. Um, he's very cool, very collected, but fuck me, does he have a temper? Oh, it's it's ridiculous. Like, uh, no, I see. I was kind of, like, I made the thing about Navik Chen earlier on. I was like, it's because it's like the casting of two mm. very similar characters in terms of, like, what they're 
uh, like, you know, what, the, what they're doing, what their plot is and all that kind of stuff. But with Vaughn, I get a lot more sense of when he's calm, I, do, I really don't like the fact, I think this guy's got the upper hand the whole time. And like when he when he loses the temper, I'm like, you 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 do shatter that illusion. Whereas with Chen, Chen was just so arrogant the whole fucking time. It was like, oh man, you're going to fall off this pedestal hard. Um, but with Vaughn, it's like, no, I'm not comfortable with him. He's he's too confident. That's because he's got an ace in the yeah. hole. Yeah, but also like the fact that his confidence is. Like we obviously find out at the end that it's the Cyberman he's working on, right? We we find that out at yeah. the end. But mm-hmm. like all through it, you know, you have Packer being like, Oh, but our allies, oh but the people we're working with and Vaughn is clearly like, I don't give a fuck what they say. Yeah. They're a means to his end, and I'm really curious what that end is. And and what the, what the beauty of it is, right, is that he knows that once whatever the ambition is 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 like achieved he knows that he has to fucking get rid of them before they get rid of him so that's why he's playing both angles he's using the Cybermen for his own ends but he's getting Watkins to provide the counter measure against the Cybermen the minute it's done like he like he's essentially uh, order 66 thing order 66 thing mm. <laughs> the Cybermen and it's uh, it's great and actually yeah. uh, our our friends on uh, Path Measures Podcast recently released their 66 episode and they made the they made the reference to regular release episode 66 it was great <laughs> <laughs> so that's if you're listening I got a great chuckle out of that thanks <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah like I just I like, I know what's going to happen. But I can't wait to talk about it. You know, um, I don't know what's going to happen because I, yeah, yeah I, like, I, I stopped watching it. Yeah, so far. and I know that you're mad at me because I said we'd only do one episode, or like we'd break it into two parts. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think time will tell exactly what Vaughn has of his uh, fabulous sleeves. <laughs> And even though we know that it's the Cybermen that are uh, being dealt with, we're not going to discuss the Cybermen because we have not seen how they've impacted the story as of yet. Correct. So an interesting discussion, or half discussion, I suppose, from your (laughs) perspective. So we're getting to our overall. Now, usually at this point, we'd give a score out of five and give our thoughts on the story as a whole. But obviously, we don't have a story as a whole to discuss right now. So we're going to be giving our thoughts on the first four episodes. So Paddy, I'll hand it to you first. Thoughts on episodes one through four. We've come face to face with the Cybermen again. And Mm -hmm. very, very quickly after having encountered them so previously. I think this is the quickest return of a reoccurring villain we've seen. So far, because the Wheel Space was only two be, stories yeah. ago. Yeah, I think Wheel Space was only two stories ago. Um, mm. I I know we you know the, there's the whole thing of like, you know the trope in modern who is that you know oh here come you know the Daleks you know again type of thing, and even though this was a fast return, I don't mind it because of how amazingly paced the first four parts of this first four episodes of the story were. 
mm. like the the pacing has been great and yeah. it took them four episodes to reveal that it was the Cybermen now I, I and I love that Trosh like episode four they're kind of dropping little hints and references like you know they do you want to be an emotionless husk like our um mm. our you know our allies you know when they saw the machine that controls emotions they were terrified and it was like okay yeah yeah we're looking back it's like it's perfectly layered throughout that episode um but like it's great because even though you know that there's a higher power kind of like that Vaughn is like allied with you don't care because you're glued to Vaughn you're like, was yeah. like what is his objective like what is his goal so it becomes about toppling Vaughn as opposed to oh like you know oh he is the end boss as opposed to he's the sub boss type thing you know mm. um fantastic I think and it all that credit credit goes to Kevin Stoney like he's oh he's holding every every scene that he's in he commands yeah. he's completely 100%. completely holding it you know um but that being said, when Nick is there, it's like, you know, Nick gives an order and I'm kind of going, yep, absolutely. <laughs> you, you tell him, break. <laughs> do as the Brigadier commands. I'm really hoping now as well that in part two, we'll actually be able to have a good discussion about Zoe because this is her time to shine now. She know she, and I'm very actually interested to see how she's going to react now that they know that the Cybermen are involved. Mm. You know, because that was her first adventure with the Doctor. Will there be some sort of PTSD? Will there be a sort of a, I know how to handle this. Who knows what it's going to be. But eight, uh, like as we said earlier on, eight is an unusual number for a story. So mm. we'll have to see whether or not it needed to be eight. Or if eight is mm. actually, with the pacing that's been done in the first four parts, is eight the perfect number? Yeah. No, I what think it'll you? be interesting, interesting to see. What about your thoughts? So, first of all, I loved the mention of Professor Travers at the at the beginning. Mm. I was actually really gutted that, like, even though I knew Travers wasn't going to be in it, because obviously it would have come up yeah. in previous trivia and stuff. I'm still really gutted that him and Anne weren't in it, because mm. Isabel is awesome, right? I think Isabel's great, but yeah. if Zoe had stayed with Anne, I don't think I would have been as pissed that she wasn't with the Doctor. Because you yeah. imagine Zoe and Anne working together. Oh, it'd be fantastic. That'd be brilliant. So um, I would have loved to have seen Anne and Zoe meet up. So I'm, I'm a little bit disappointed that we didn't get Professor Travers and Anne in the story. For me, though, like, so you and I discussed the fact that we were going to do this in two parts. We decided this ages ago. Yeah. And you had asked me if I was going to watch it in one shot through. And mm. I chose not to because it's easier for <laughs> It's easier for me to record this talking mm. about the first four episodes if I've only seen the, the first four episodes. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I only watched the first four. It was so hard for me to not click next mm-hmm. and keep going. Yeah. And only for the fact that I had work the following day. <laughs> I didn't really have time to watch another two hours of Doctor Who. I would have kept going otherwise. Yeah. Because hooked me in like i said the timing the pacing was great like i know we sort of gave derek sherwin a bit of a bit of guff for what he said about the interactions with the two guys who created the yeti and the fact that we didn't get that story and blah 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 man can write a story though he does he does um and i have a lot of questions going into you know next week 
going into these final four episodes and they're good interesting questions like how are the humans so strong mm-hmm. ha- has the conversion started like how, how does that because we haven't seen that before no um how did vaughn get involved in the cybermen in the first place also like this is taking place in the 70s yeah but the first time relatively contemporary humans saw the cybermen was in um the 10th planet in the 80, which, is, which is the 80s which is based in the 80s yeah so like how did vaughn get involved in cybermen like where are these cybermen from also where is planet 14 yeah so there's so many open questions I have because, like, with the Daleks, the them knowing the Doctor through time mm-hmm. makes sense because it's established in the chase. They have a time well, machine. Well, in the Space Museum and, and then the chase. They have time travel. Mm-hmm. That hasn't been established with Cybermen. So, like, how do we get from 10th planet to the moon base? Okay, that connectivity it makes sense to tomb of the cybermen because that kind of works to the wheel in space okay again kind of works as we established in tomb of the cybermen that there were cybermen that survived how do we get back around to here and where does mm. this feed into things um so that i'm really curious to see like we said will we get to see the brigadier in action mm-hmm. leading from the front and will zoe actually get to do something <laughs> Fingers crossed for yes on that one. (laughs) I guess we'll just have to find out next week. Yeah, no, like I said, I I really enjoyed it. It was really engaging. It took a lot of effort to not keep watching. Yeah. (laughs) So I think our discussion next week should be good. (laughs) And now you know my struggle with some stories, especially Enemy of the World, which was like, I want to watch more. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, and like, you know, I must give Paddy a lot of credit, right? So we've explained before the way this works, you know, Paddy generally watches like an episode a day because writing out the summary takes time and you may have to you know stop and start and stop and start or maybe watch the episode through and then watch it again to make sure you didn't miss anything or whatever. I'm afforded the luxury of usually the day before or two days before we record I just sit down and watch the story the whole way through. <laughs> <laughs> but it means Paddy's actually a couple of stories ahead of me at all times mm. and so I, like, which one are you watching at the moment? Uh, I'm on the Seeds of Debt, which is two stories after the invasion. Yeah, so you're two stories ahead having to discuss the invasion. So kudos to you and the fact that you always um, turn up to these with, you know, as if you would watch it the night before, because I wouldn't be able to do that, which is why I don't <laughs> do that. <laughs> uh, well, thank you. You're welcome. Cool. And so we've reached the end of the beginning of the invasion. (laughs) Join us next week when we'll finish up the story and give our final scores. So, guys, talk to you then. Bye. Bye.